Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I'm Sarah, and this is Katrina. We are a strange and slightly funny sister duo that enjoys talking about strange stuff, crazy cases, and things that make you say, hmm, that was fascinating. Mm. Birds. If it's weird, wild, bizarre, and provocative, we're going to talk about it on this podcast. So, I'm Sarah. This is my sister, Katrina. She's the younger part of this duo. Say hi, Katrina. Hi, Katrina. Yeah, you smartass. <laughs> so we, we have been talking about doing a podcast for a really, really long time. I came up with the ideas for this, what was it, about a year ago? Is that when we started talking about this? Yeah, you're the instigator. Um, just because I know that both of us are pretty knowledgeable on a wide base of topics and I don't know about you but I've always been interested in sort of true crime paranormal type stuff just weird things strange historical facts stuff about aliens all that kind of stuff has always just been so riveting to me so it seems natural that we would create a podcast out of this and I kind of roped Katrina into it because she's got a lot of medical knowledge she is in nursing school right now um, and she is a mother of four, so she's had some crazy experiences herself. Um, anything else you want to add to that, Miss Katrina? Only that um, doing all this research has made me scared to let my kids out of the house. Right? <laughs> it's like, I don't want to be home by myself anymore because true crime is legit scary. And it is scary. Honestly, I think my boyfriend is a little bit afraid too because I know 50 ways to kill him and get rid of his body without a trace. <laughs> right? That's disturbing on so many levels. On so many levels. Um, right. So I do have a legal background. Uh, I am an attorney, although I do not practice. I am a writer as well. I'm a talker and a true crime fan. This podcast, although we're not going to focus exclusively on true crime, we will have a good portion of the show where we will talk about crime, uh, murders, different uh, scary, bizarre, and crazy things that have happened in the criminal world. Uh, What's new? That is the next portion of this show where we talk about what's going on in the news currently. And what I thought was interesting, and I don't know if you've come across anything that you find particularly interesting in the news lately, um, but I found a radio show was talking about, you know, the, the pod Tide Pod Challenge where kids eat the, the Tide Pods and all that kind of stuff. Evidently, yeah. there is now a bird box challenge. Did you hear about this one? Yeah, these idiots. It's just like <laughs> the stupidity never ends. So I don't know how many of you folks out there, how many of our listeners actually watched the movie The Bird Box. Did you see the movie, Katrina? I have not watched the movie, but I need to now. Yes, it's a pretty good movie, although there were a lot. it left me with a lot more questions at the end than I found that I had answers for, and I wasn't sure whether they intended to do that or whether there's, they're leaving room for a sequel or a prequel or all kinds of crazy stuff. But nonetheless, that doesn't, uh, the particular article slash news story that they were talking about is people have taken up what's called the bird box challenge where they have to wear a blindfold and, and do stuff like drive, find their way to school, walk to school go on a hike, whatever, full-on blindfold on. Do these people have a brain in their head? No. 
I can't think Come of anything on. more stupid than trying to replicate the bird box in your own personal life. But these are also the same people that are eating the Tide Pods. So, you know, maybe there's a where certain the, amount of brain damage. Where are the parents in all of this? I don't know. know. Doesn't it seem crazy? It seems really dumb. Like, get a brain. I can't, I can't even wrap, I, can't, I don't even have words for, for the craziness of that. I can't even think of why or how or in what universe I would ever want to participate in something so asinine. <laughs> I don't even like driving without a blindfold. Right. I, I can't imagine why you would want to drive with one. And why it's necessary to try to replicate a fictional movie this isn't real. Oh, what, a, what next they're going to go out and start, you know, mimicking the Friday the 13th movies? Like, come oh, on. I don't know. Idiots abound. It's not real. Really, come on. You know, it's funny because segment from now on where we're going to talk about all the crazy, stupid people out there and the dumb things they're doing. So... <laughs> Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, Let's jump right in. I'm going to pop in here to my first topic for the day, and that is tetrochromatics. That is people that have an extra cone in their eye. So imagine it sort of like this. Imagine when you look out at the world, the sky, the flowers, the trees, seeing things an average person sees versus seeing things kind of in a technicolor manner. That's what tetrachromacy is. It's a condition of possessing four independent channels for conveying color information or four types of cone cells in the eye. Uh, It's basically, which is pretty awesome, and it's really common among several species of birds, fish, amphibians, reptiles, insects, and some mammals. How how do they even know? How do they test for that? Just a minute. I'm going to get there. Um... This was a much more normal condition for mammals in the past, but a genetic change has made the majority of species of this class eventually lose two of their four cones. So most people out there today are floating around with two or three cones in their eyes. They really can't see things in the technicolor manner that some species and some parts of the human race can see. Uh, Interestingly enough... There was an article on Snopes.com about this called, Do Some People Have a Fourth Retinal Cone? So that's going to talk a little bit more about some testing on that. But on 20th of February, 2015, an online test for tetrachromacy, a rare condition of a person's having four, four cone cells in the eye, went viral after being shared on the LinkedIn social media site. The test which was posted just a few days after the internet became obsessed with identifying the color of a dress, asked viewers to count the number of colors in an image. The amount of colors perceived supposedly indicated the number of cones that the viewer possessed. Those who spotted more than 32 colors were informed they had a unique fourth cone and were therefore tetrachromats. Given the sudden interest of the color of dresses and vision, here are some of the fascinating things we did recently. Excuse me, here are some of the fascinating findings that they saw. Color nuances we see depend on the number and distribution of cones in our eye. These are color receptors. You can check this rainbow. This is the test. It's like some kind of an online test where they show a rainbow across the screen, and then they ask you to count how many different colors you see. If you see between 20 and 30, then you're supposed to be a trichromat, which means you only have three types of cones in your eye. 
Um, and 50% of the population has the three types, they say. If you can see between 33 and 39 colors, you're a tetrachromat, like bees, because bees have that gene in them as well. And you have four types of cones in the eye. You're irritated by the color yellow, so it will not be found in your wardrobe. 25% of the population is a tetrachromat. Um, but thousands of people took this test and shared the news that they were tetrachromats on Facebook and Twitter. The majority of these people actually didn't see an unusual number of colors, unfortunately. According to researchers, the standard RGB on a, of a computer monitor is not capable of displaying the range of colors required to create a reliable online test for this particular condition. So we can't really see all the colors on a computer screen that would be necessary for people to kind of count the nuances. And they also mm -hmm. say that 25% of the people being a tetrachromat, that's also inaccurate. Uh, they estimated that half the female population has a fourth cone in their eyes and only a small number of these people can actually see additional colors. So they have it, they just don't know how to use it or they can't use it. Um, but the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette says that about 2% of the female population are tetrachromats in reality. Um, but the number may be higher, closer to 12%. But researchers say that they've only been able to confirm the condition in one person. So they know it exists, they just don't know how people can actually become a functional tetrachromatic when most four-coned women are not. The odds of being a male tetrachromat are even lower. It requires two X chromosomes to develop this four types of cones. Um, and blah, 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 so on and so forth. Um, but interesting, 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 because of a couple of different things. Um, when I read this article, I immediately thought to myself, hey, I'm a tetrachromat, because, you know, we're special. <laughs> but I've always kind of thought that, too, because you know how some people just see things differently. Like, and there are many artists and artistic people that just see things in a broader spectrum, you know, like Monet and Michelangelo and some of these just am amazing Van Gogh. I mean, look at the spectrums of things that they create in paintings. And some of us look at it and see thousands of colors and can appreciate it and really look and see what it is. And other people are just like, Hey, it's black and white. And then you have colorblind people who really have, even more limited cone functionality and really see even less colors than the general populace. Mm. What do you think? Or do you think you're a tetrachromat? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I think that it's interesting that it's predominantly female. Yes. Right. Especially since, most females I know are able to, like, when they're picking out paint colors, for example, you know, it's, for example, my husband, like, there is, I'll be like, this is cream, and this is white, and this is this, and, and this is like, eggshell. What's the dis? <laughs> this yeah, is milk. Like, what's the difference? It's like 150 variations of the color white, and women can see every single one of them and differentiate. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. So this particular topic I find interesting in that you kind of had some opinions about this and, and the condition of autism. Can you kind of speak to that a little bit? Well, I had watched this biography on this little girl who had autism, who was, who couldn't speak, who couldn't do things for herself, but she could paint 
replicate these beautiful paintings. So she didn't do her own? She recreated original paintings? She did do some of her own, but but she she was just, it was the color variance that she used was amazing. And for somebody who is nonverbal, you just wouldn't expect them to be able to, to uh, see those colors. But the thing is with kids with autism, generally what happens is part of the brain, like they won't be able to speak, they won't be able to go to the bathroom by themselves, but then another part of their brain is, is fully functioning. Like hyper-functional. Yes. I wonder yes. if that's like when you lose your sight or your smell or your whatever, your other senses become stronger. It's like kind of that sort of a thing. I mean, it could be, but you, you find it happens in a lot of cases with, with children with autism. Not in all cases, but you can see they will be like a savant. So Well, they do say there are different forms, of different types of intelligence besides just, you know, having a high IQ. That's true. That's true. And a lot of these children who uh, they specialize in something, they can do some really amazing things. So, I mean, I've seen a couple of them. It's not as common, but you do see it. I also thought it was interesting that they said you would hate the color yellow. Like, for some reason, tetrachromats are just sort of repulsed or repelled by the color yellow, which is interesting because I've always hated the color yellow. I don't like yellow. I don't have either. yellow in my wardrobe. I don't. I don't have yellow in my wardrobe either. I'm not a yellowy person. I didn't know bees didn't like yellow. Did you know bees are soothed by the color blue? They like the color wow. blue. I did not know that. That is interesting. How, how do they? How do they know these things? I think we're gonna I have mean, to talk about a whole episode just about bees because bees are such fascinating creatures, and there's so many bizarre really are. and interesting oh, things really about are. bee colonies that, like, we're just gonna have to devote a whole episode to those. Well, imagine the kind of testing that they would have to do to figure that out. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just put on a bee suit and give different colors and see how the bees react, whether they swarm or whether they're peaceful and calm. You can see when a bee's agitated. It's not that challenging. Bees are pretty cool. They're hornets. It's hornets I don't like. Right? Me either. Okay, so why don't you talk about your, what do, what do you got for us today? What's your first topic? My first topic is the mysterious abduction of Angela Hammond. And this is on the truecrimearticles.com okay. website. And I'm not going to read the whole entire article just because it's is pretty long. It's super long. Yeah. So in 1990, there was a girl named Angela, uh, and she disappeared from some mysterious... Under mysterious under, circumstances. Yes. Mysterious. So in November of 1990, 19-year-old Angela met Rob Schaefer, an 18-year-old high school star athlete who had ambitiously had ambitions to join the military the two quickly intertwined and fell in love the following year in january 1991 she announced to rob that she was pregnant now i did not know she was pregnant from the other article that i read about this so i found that it's interesting she was pregnant when she disappeared rob was thrilled by the news and subsequently proposed to her so they were engaged okay 
He hastily put his vehicle in reverse and made a sharp U-turn to give chase. The pursuit continued for approximately two miles before Rob's transmission conveniently malfunctioned when he made a right turn, resulting in the vehicle stalling in the middle of the road as the truck with the woman quickly faded out of view. Okay, now if this guy is telling the truth, that is really (laughs) bad timing, right? Timing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's shady. But, you it know, does. I, I heard about this case through another podcast, and I can't think of the podcast name off the top of my head. It was really, really well done, and they did a lot of research behind it. And it's just, I think that investigators have looked at this from all angles, and they did look into the boyfriend, and they couldn't prove that he did anything. So, um, unfortunately, Rob had no choice but to walk back to town. Luckily, a passing motorist noticed him and picked him up and Rob asked to be taken to the police station so he could notify them of what just transpired. He arrived at the department just shy over midnight and reported the incident. So that's another thing that triggered something for me. So if the phone call happened at 1145, this all happened briefly within 15 minutes and he had enough time to get to the police station by midnight. Yeah, I think that was part of the other podcast, too. They, like, timed how long it would take him if he did do something with her, like, how long it would take him to get there and to do something and then get to the police station. And they found that it just wasn't enough time, I think, to really take action or do something. Yeah, that seems like... And this kid, he is supposed to be 18 years old. The the baby daddy? Yeah. So I didn't realize he was that young. Yeah, they're young. Why is her... I don't know. I just want to know, why are their parents, like, where are their parents in all this? Why is she out at, at almost midnight? Well, I mean, if you're 18, you're, I suppose, but if they've already out of school. So what happened to her? Rob told the police Angela described the unidentified male as filthy and bearded. Yes, there it is. <laughs> there There's that little go. nugget that I was looking for. He was filthy and bearded. He was wearing coveralls, a dark-colored baseball hat, eyeglasses, and had a full beard with a mustache. Okay, that's another thing right there that got me is that he describes a guy that literally Looks has, like a hobo. Like, yeah, well, he doesn't have any distinguishing features. Like, he has, he could cover that all up. Like, that's easy to, like, yeah. I don't know, just to make up some random person. It would be convenient to come up with somebody with a mustache and a beard and a hat and glasses and all of right. those things conveniently, right? Maybe that it was him. Maybe he just got rid of his disguise. The truck he was driving was a green Ford F-150 with a white top and delineated? Delineated. Delineated, sorry. <laughs> to be between the ni- late 60s to early 70s. There had been partial damage on... Sounds like Dad's truck. Did, did our dad do this? <laughs> Is this our dad? Ooh, the picture looks kind of like our dad. <laughs> oh my god, Dad grew a beard! Okay, no, but it gets weirder because wait till I finish reading the article and then, then well, let me get back to that. Okay. <laughs> There had been partial damage on the left side of the front fender, and on the rear window was a mural of a fish jumping out of the water. A composite sketch of the person of interest was created, although it had been met with such 
with much scrutiny because it doesn't feature key char- characteristics that Angel described to be rough. So if you look at the picture that of the sketches of this guy, it almost looks like the boyfriend. Dang. <laughs> Get it, girl. Let him know. That's what's weird to me. I keep, I keep, my brain keeps going back to the boyfriend. Well, initially, the police were skeptical of Rob's story, believe, believing it seemed too contrived and convenient. Duh. The police at first felt that way. Nevertheless, they began their investigation. Did you say nevertheless? Nevertheless. <laughs> Sorry. I apologize. Speak those English words, girl. I'm just so excited about this that I'm mispronouncing my words. Okay, continue. As they began their investigation, they uncovered Rob's vehicle undrivable in the middle of the street. Shortly thereafter, they found Angela's car abandoned at the shopping center parking lot with her purse still inside. Detective Damon Parsons of Clinton Police Department notified Marsha on the scenario unfolding, which caused immediate frantic. She, conduct, she contacted Angela's father, Chris, and delivered the devastating news. He promptly made the trip to Clinton, Missouri, and resided there for several weeks to assist with trying to locate his daughter. So it sounds like her parents were separated or whatever. For the first week of the investigation, Rob was considered the prime suspect in Angela's disappearance, but after passing a polygraph test and two witnesses coming forward claiming to see the same truck as Rob described the police. He was subsequently ruled out. How do they know Rob didn't have that truck and he just kind of ditched it? Or that he didn't just make that all up. Maybe. Because it sounds like all of it is coming from him anyway. He couldn't have made up, he couldn't have seen a truck People that was crazy. passing by and decided, okay, that's a good, that would be a good, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, he could have seen something and then been like, okay, I because I saw that, I can just use that as my alibi. Yep, and then he passed the polygraph. Yeah, that's that's what, the only thing in there that I'm like, how did he do that? Sketchy! Well, all the, what if he's like a total like schizophrenic? Or sociopath. Like he has some, no... And he believes his own like lies. No, or has multiple personality disorder. Ooh, that would be a good one. Maybe he's how does like that? How does that line up on a, a polygraph liar. test? <laughs> what are the people that lie all the time called? They're um, pathological liars. Yes, it's a pathological liar. Anyway, keep going. Continue. As, a, as the police continued rounding up friends and family for questioning and additional details, they focused on Angela's ex-boyfriend, seventeen-year-old Bill Barker. There were rumors going around that he was the father of Angela's baby. But he denied those allegations, and after looking further into things, he was no longer considered a suspect. (laughs) There's all sorts of drama going on with this. The community rallied together, distributing missing persons posters all throughout town, plastering the photographs on local storefronts, windows, diners, and truck stops that were often frequented. Over 250 volunteers included, including friends, family, and the police conducted an air and ground search, scouring the entirety of Clinton looking for Angela. Water wells, creek beds, old country roads that are isolated, barns, woods, fields, and abandoned buildings were heavily combed with no luck. That's crazy. So they never found her, basically. Where did she go? 
where did she go? Eleven days later, the Clinton Police Department contacted Missouri Rural Crime Scene Squad seeking help into the investigation. As a result, 25 police officers from 15 neighboring counties happily accommodated them. The Missouri Highway Patrol also looked through their database of all registered vehicles. A list of 1,600 potential pickup trucks matching what Angela's kidnapper was possibly driving was compiled and sought out for, for new suspects, but the extensive search provided proved fruitless. Hmm. Man, that sucks. The police were at a loss for words, perplexed as to how a small town crime wasn't providing providing evidence and answers that would hone in on a probable suspect. In turn, they started to consider the possibility that Angela's abduction could be connected to two similar disappearances that occurred within an 80-mile radius months earlier in January and February of 1991. Okay. So there was two females that disappeared uh, in shady circumstances in that, in, around that same area. But get this. Serial killer. Right. Uh, the perpetrators were 15-year-old Jesse Rush and his half-brother. I, th- I heard that name, too, and was like, oh, my God, do we have a relative? <laughs> yeah. See? That was, that's what made me go, like, what? They were arrested after Jesse had visited Kansas City and bragged to multiple friends about the murders that they committed, the other murders. But... They were never able to actually uh, connect them to the other, to her murder. But they suspected there was a possibility. Monsters. Creepers. Killed her too. Yeah. Theirs was more of a, it was a sexual related show. But they weren't able, they they weren't ever able to connect the two. Yeah. Since then, very little updates have surfaced in the subsequent years. 27 years have passed from when Angela disappeared, and lack of answers has continued to plague friends and family of Angela's. Nonetheless, they had to resume building on their own lives. The Hammond family still pursue closure with relentless passion and make sure Angela's memory isn't forgotten. That's so sad. So where did you find this article? Uh, I found this article... TrueCrimesArticles.com. Do you know who wrote it? Uh, it looks like Craig Berry. Okay, Mr. Craig Berry wrote it very well. April 18th, 2018. And job, he Craig. was very extensive. There was a lot. I left out some of the stuff because it was a really, really long article. But there was a lot of information. Yeah. We wouldn't have been able to cover it all in one. The bottom line is it's an unsolved case, and they're still looking for suspects at this point, even all Mm -hmm. this time later. Um, And it's it's frightening that there's just no trace of this girl, that she's completely disappeared, and she's presumed dead. I'm I'm assuming that they've issued some sort of death certificate at this point, because the longer you're gone, the more likely it is that you've been... Yeah, that's true. I think I heard on... The true the my favorite murders podcast. They were talking about three. It's the be, within three hours is the best best results of, right. of finding somebody. Okay, good job on that one. I think we're probably only going to have time for one more um, story this evening because we're already at about thirty five minutes here. So I'm going to jump into the next topic. Um, Bring it, girl. What you got? 
I, I want to talk a little bit about reincarnation, which is sort of a fascinating topic to me because I'm not certain that I believe in it and I'm not really certain that I don't believe in it, but there are just way too many coincidences with things out in the world and experiences that people have had for me to completely write it off as a fictional sort of crazy person thing. So yeah. I'm going to read this article about this woman whose name is Om Seti. I'm not sure if I'm necessarily pronouncing that correctly or not, but I heard another podcast, like several different podcasts, podcasts, <laughs> what in the dickens, seriously, you just started a new word, I think Mysteries Abound talked about it, the podcast Mysteries Abound, and I know that I heard it on another one as well, because it's one of the more popular stories, it's a little bit more well known out there about reincarnation, and I found it on historicmysteries.com. I'm not sure who the particular author is for this one, but it says the phenomenon of reincarnation is a fascinating topic. Advocates of reincarnation present the story of Dorothy Louise Edie as a prime example that reincarnation is as much a part of life as birth and death. The story of Dorothy Edie is an interesting one. She was born to Irish parents in January 1904 near London, England. Her life began as any normal child. That is, until the age of three, when she suffered a terrible fall down the stairs and was pronounced dead. Some would say a miracle occurred that day because Dorothy regained consciousness and within one hour was able to sit up in her bed. But Dorothy was no longer the same girl who fell down the stairs, as her parents would soon discover. It was at the British Museum in 1908 when Mr. and Mrs. Edie first noticed Dorothy's strange behavior. Instead of expecting a child who was bored and restless, Dorothy became obsessed with the Egyptian galleries. As soon as she gazed upon the Egyptian artifacts, she began kissing the feet of the statues. She eventually sat down at the foot of a mummy enclosed in a glass case and refused to be separated from it. After her mother attempted to pick her up, Dorothy was quoted as saying, leave me here. These are my people. After this fateful trip, Dorothy would have reoccurring dreams of columned buildings surrounded by rich vegetation. She would at times get extremely sad and insist that her parents take her home. Although her parents tried to reassure her she was home, Dorothy never believed it. A few months later, she came across some photographs of ancient Egypt. She showed her mother the hieroglyphics and remarked that she knew the language. When she stumbled upon the photo of the Temple of Seti, the first of Ab Abydos, I'm not sure how to say that, she ran to her father and proclaimed, this is my home, this is where I used to live. Finally, her dreams of column buildings, lush vegetation, and lush vegetation were making sense to her. Dorothy was dreaming on a was dreaming on ancient Egypt as it may have appeared thousands of years ago. She believed she had some kind of spiritual connection to ancient Egypt and even attended various groups dedicated to the study of reincarnation. Although she was interested in this subject, she never agreed with their logic. Dorothy would spend her time her remaining teen years and early twenties learning everything she could about Egyptology. In nineteen thirty three she finally got her wish to return to Egypt after marrying an Egyptian named Abdul Maguid. Not sure. I probably missed, I slaughtered that name. Once married, they packed their bags and moved to Cairo. She gave birth to a child that she insisted on naming Seti after the 19th dynasty pharaoh. Following Egyptian custom of not referring to the mother's first name, she would now be known as Om Seti. Dorothy's relationship with her husband was never a solid one. Um, she was always focused on the study of Egyptology and her hubby had no interest in any of that. Occasionally, he would also see her in a trance-like state where she would get out of bed and do automatic writing, which is scratching hieroglyphics on paper, eventually spanning 70 pages, which she later described as her spirit guide kind of assisting her 
to talk Whoa. about her previous life. On one occasion, um, her hubby ran out of the house. Hubby's father ran out of the house after claiming to see a pharaoh sitting on the foot of her bed. Ooh, creepy! Eventually, their marriage fell apart, and he tra- he moved away to Iraq, leaving her to her studies in Egypt. According to the writings that she did, she believed she was born in ancient Egypt with the name, I don't even know how to say it, uh, Ben Trashit? But that she was raised as a priestess. By the age of 14, the pharaoh said he fell in love with her and she became pregnant with his child. Because she had made a vow of virginity as a priestess, she committed suicide to prevent Seti from being implicated for his taboo crime. This devastated her, and he vowed he would be with her again. According to her, this would become reality. She explains in her diary that Seti would visit her at night in what she described as spiritual romantic encounters. She was overjoyed to recognize him as a handsome man in his 50s. According to her, he planned to marry her when she joins him in the Egyptian underworld. Seems pretty hard to believe, but she convinced many skeptics that she was, in fact, a reincarnation of a priestess from ancient Egypt. Um, she became the first woman to obtain a job at the Antiquities Department in Egypt. It was her advice from her memories that archaeologists used to find the location of the Temple Garden that she described. In fact, she had physically pointed out where the Temple Garden should be, and after careful excavation by archaeologists, it was found. She also led them to hidden tunnels on the north end of the temple. All of the discoveries were based on her memories. She stated that under the Temple of Seti lies the library vault of religious and historical records. This excavation has not yet happened, but she provided a lot of details to them about the Sphinx and a lot of other cool Egyptian stuff. But she spent the rest of her life at the temple in Egypt. She resided in a small village and became as much of a tourist attraction as the temple itself. She continued her studies there, always treating the temple with respect and ushered thousands, that it ushered thousands of years ago. She passed away in 1981. Wow. So they said she was well-educated and normal, but that she full on believed that she was a reincarnated priestess, but she never got tested officially by psychologists or anything like that. They didn't really do any testing or diagnostic type things with her to sort of, back up her claims, but I find it very interesting that she was able to describe so many things. She knew the Egyptian language, the hieroglyphics, like she knew a lot more than many scholars of that time knew. So she just kind of blew people out of the water. And it's very hard to believe somebody could study that because given that time period as well, people just didn't have access to research materials like we have now. Describe things in such vivid detail that it was impossible to believe that she had not been there herself. I would have loved to have spoken with her. I think that would have been an absolutely amazing experience. I've always been interested in Egyptology. So, I mean, to meet somebody who actually lived back then would be pretty incredible. That would be really fascinating. Just have, I mean, obviously she knew a lot of information, so just having a conversation with somebody like that would have been interesting, regardless of whether or not it's true or not. Yeah. I mean, she obviously clearly knew a lot of things about oh. it. So, I mean, wow. I think reincarnation is a, a topic that we will visit again on the show, just because I find it so fascinating that there are people that have these experiences that just seem way too coincidental, way too detailed, way too exact to have been made up or contrived. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just, it makes sense for a lot of things, especially through some of the memories or dreams that I've had as well. 
Mm -hmm. uh, about things that just simply couldn't be true um, in earlier periods of time. So it's, it's an interesting topic. I, I, and again, like I mentioned earlier, I don't know whether I believe in it or not. I'm on the fence. But well, I, and I'm, in hearing about children, I've heard about children having memories of something that there's no way they could have memories of. Yeah. So it's um, millions of people. Things. Millions yeah. of people believe in reincarnation, though. In India and in Asia and, and a lot of different countries, they believe in that. So it's an interesting concept. We'll talk about it more later. Uh, we need to wrap up the show for the day um, because we are coming up on 45 minutes. Uh, cool. So this is where we say our goodbyes. So long, farewell, rate, review, and subscribe. Also, if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, keep them to yourself. Just kidding. <laughs> we love emails. Please send in any emails you have with suggestions, comments, um, things you'd like to talk about, corrections, any of that. You can send to the B as in boy, F as in Frank, D as in dog podcast at gmail.com. That's the BFD podcast at gmail.com. We'll also put that in the show notes. Uh, please join us again next week when we talk about more weird, wacky, and wild stuff. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your best life. Bye! Bye!